0: You know, we might be listening to someone and think, why would you do that? That's just stupid. I mean, for goodness sake. But of course, the minute I start thinking like that, I've actually stopped listening. Or I might listen to someone and go, oh, my God, it's obvious what you should do. I mean, there's a really clear solution in here. And then we go, yeah, uh yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Hello, hello. Welcome to Reaching Your Goals. My name is Hannah Herbst and I'm a certified leadership and career coach and a management consultant with an MBA from NYU Stern School of Business. Reaching Your Goals is a career-focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to find out what it takes to reach your goals. We will talk about anything from knowing yourself and leading with purpose to growing your self-confidence or becoming more productive. Whatever it takes to get one step closer to living a fulfilled professional life. My mission is simple to inspire you to reach your goals, lead with kindness and have some fun along the way. I'm here today with Jenny van Jane is an author, speaker, facilitator and expert leadership advisor in the art of brilliant communication. When she's approaching communication, she does it in an accessible, practical and solutions-focused way. She has already helped thousands of leaders to become better listeners and communicate with impact. She now summarizes her learnings in the award-winning best-selling book, The Listening Shift. In that book, she's drawing on her experience as a trained classical actress, a voice teacher, a researcher into performance psychology and from volunteering as a listener for summer regions in the UK. Welcome, Janie.
0: I'm more than
1: excited to talk to you today. How are you doing?
0: I am very well, Hannah, and I'm delighted to be here with you. Thank you for that lovely introduction. My goodness, it sounds, sounds like someone else. <laughs> <laughs> it's you,
1: and we are very, very eager to get to know you a little bit better that's why I would love to start with rapid-fire questions, short <gasps> questions, <gasps> exciting, <laughs> short questions, short answers. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hit me. Do you do any <laughs> sports or have a hobby?
0: I try to be fit. I have an ice bath every day. Uh, do I have a hobby? I I mean, I don't have a hobby. A hobby. Everything sort of wraps into one for me. I, I just love everything
1: (laughs) you just mentioned an ice bath every day
0: yeah 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 I I was inspired by the I I went on a short Wim Hof fundamentals course and I just felt honestly so amazing after Hannah I can't tell you how great I felt even though I hated the thing itself so then I thought if I carry on having cold showers for uh, 3 months then i will buy an ice bath and put it in the garden so i have a refrigerated water unit looks like a looks like a hot tub but it's deceptive because it's currently at 4 degrees so it's not it's not full ice but my god 4 degrees is cold <laughs> It just yeah it makes me feel really calm actually interestingly there's lots of research around uh you know reduced inflammation positive mental health, and it, it is five minutes of peace, I have to say. I really, I have to, begun to depend upon it.
1: Say, what word comes to mind when you think of multitasking?
0: Like, my life. I, I mean, I, I do so much and none of it properly. That's what I think. <laughs> <or the multitasking>. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> what do you prefer, emails or phone calls? Phone calls, 100%. Rather chat absolutely rather chat to someone than write because when I write an email I have to take so long to think how will it be received if I make this comment will other people understand my tone behind it honestly by the time I've done that I might as well have picked up the phone
1: this is saying speech is silver silence is golden
0: true or false yes silence is golden how can you listen if you're not quiet it's a life's work but I think silence is golden just not for our podcast today.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Lots of time for the listeners to reflect, Anna. <laughs> No, no. I mean, that's why I say it's a life's work, because I'm not yes. very good at being quiet. Say, who is one of your role models? Oh, that's such a great question. I think, in the area in which I now operate, I would say, and it's, I'm sure many people would say this, but Brene Brown. I love her work around vulnerability and recognizing that we're all in the same place. I, I've been really inspired, surprisingly inspired by her thinking.
1: She always asks in her podcast, complete the sentence, vulnerability is.
0: What is it for you? Vulnerability is accepting you may be rejected as a person, wow. your ideas, uh, and I, I think it's having having the courage to go, that's going to hurt, that's vulnerability for me. So what is the most important quality in a leader? Well, now that's a great follow-on question, Hannah, because I think now vulnerability is <laughs> one of the most important qualities in a leader. I think if we're going to start recognizing The critical value of uh, being inclusive, of having diverse voices. My my association with leadership is certainty. They've got to be right, all that kind of responsibility piece. But actually, I think the way we're going, it's got to be collaborative, facilitative. You're vulnerable. I don't know everything. So I think that is actually really critical, really key.
1: What do you need to be at your best?
0: That's a great question because I'm an actor at heart. So what's really interesting about that question is I suspect people would imagine that I am very consistent because I can fake it, but actually what I need to be at my best is space and time, uh, time to myself. Do you know what I'm really not getting at the moment, which my family will laugh? I don't know if you'll be familiar with the word mooching, but no. to, mooch, to mooch is just to kind of stroll about without purpose, really. it's And I love to mooch. Uh, I like to go into a town or a uh, I mean, even a shopping mall, I'm not fussy, but I just like to wander about because what I notice is that my head starts to think about stuff, to make links, to random stuff I see will provoke my thinking. And I find that time so important and I've only recently I think probably in the pandemic where no one was doing any mooching right Uh, I think in the pandemic I realized that that was missing from my life and it's actually missing at the moment because I'm so busy and I'm not I need to be able to mooch to be at my best even though even though like I say I'm not sure that others would recognize that I was under pressure I I can feel it I, I need to just wander around with no goal. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds
1: like dancing in the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah, unchoreographed dancing in the moment where you just go, oh, I fancy having a little, yeah, a little groove. Yeah, lovely. I'm going to put a song on or, a, oh, oh, I hear that song and I start moving. It's exactly that kind of uh, moment of flow that you don't prepare for. It's just, it sort of takes you. I love
1: it. One last question for the rapid fire. What is the best advice you've been offered in your personal or professional life?
0: When I was writing my book and I was so tied in knots, Hannah, I'm a you know, perfectionist, worried about blah, blah, blah. And my, my publisher said to me, done is better than perfect. And mm. at that time, I heard it from a number of different directions and I found it liberating. Would I like it to be perfect? Yes. Will it ever be perfect? No, impossible. So actually, there's something about just getting it done that is a very helpful strategy. And so that is a rare piece of advice that I have taken on and and try to use it to at least get me started.
1: And with that, let's deep dive in. And for people who don't know you yet, what are the key milestones that led you to where you are today?
0: Well, I think... In this era now where we recognize that a portfolio career, I think it's called, is the, uh, is the sort of holy grail. I think I totally accidentally had a portfolio career, Anna. to be honest, because as a child, I wanted to be an actor. And that was my whole, if I was awake, I was thinking about being an actor. And I ended up going to uh, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London, which is one of the world's best drama schools. I was so pleased with myself to get there. And it was it was an awesome three years. I mean, it was just wonderful. But once I became an actor, I realised I didn't really like it very much. <laughs> and the reason I didn't like it is the thing I love most is rehearsing. I love the process. I love working on stuff. But actually, then when you're prepared and ready and rehearsed and you're in performance... Then you're just doing the same lines night after night after night. And I got really bored. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't what I had dreamed of. So in combination with having my two amazing daughters fairly young in my life, uh, I decided I, I was going to have to change direction because I, it, wasn't a, it wasn't what I wanted it to be. So that was a really big milestone for me because I, up until that point, I think I was about, I think I was 30 And at that point, I just thought everything, everything that I have dreamed of and worked towards is suddenly not what I want. I don't know if that's pretty common, actually, for people to reach that point in their life. But anyway, I had two tiny children and I didn't know what on earth to do. And I went to the theatre one night with my partner. And we were watching a production. And then in the program, I saw a program note that said that the dialect coach, the voice and dialect coach, had done a master's degree in voice. And I suddenly thought, oh, I want to do that. That would be really interesting because I could use that in my work in the, in the theater. And I, but I did the degree. And actually doing the degree, I discovered that I'm, I'm a natural teacher, actually slightly disappointed I didn't want to be a teacher I wanted to be a. Yeah. Uh, wanted to be Meryl Street. <laughs> so milestone number one is realizing I was never going to be Meryl Street. um so I thought you know I I, I really get a lot from teaching and I my Big light bulb moment was in the Bronx in New York. I was working with some women who were coming off the state-funded assistance program, and they they had to go out and get jobs. And I'd gone with a colleague. We did a two-day workshop for these women, and honestly, it was just uh, I, I can't describe the moment where I thought I felt so valuable. I felt I could help. I felt I could make a difference. I wanted to help these women achieve the things that I could see were possible for them. And it was such a pivotal moment. So that was a big milestone for me. I changed my career from being an actor to being a teacher. And coincidentally, met an amazing woman in a social setting who turned out to be head of management development for a bank. And she asked me if I'd do some work with the managing director of the bank. And that was it, really. That was, that was a huge huge milestone because I thought all of these things that I have developed and worked on up until now are useful to people in a setting where they are very new skills. And then the last, so I I've been doing that for donkeys years because I'm very old, of course. I've been doing that for about 23 years now. And then the, the last milestone was training as a listener for the Samaritans in the UK, which was something I wanted to do because I'm so fascinated, a bit like you, I think, by people's stories. And so I trained I really learned how to listen at the age of 50. It was the first time I'd ever really consciously understood what it took to really do it well. Uh and that's been a huge influence on my life and is actually, you know, the the ethos behind my book and and has become the way that I see for leaders to really develop presence rather than talking. Is actually to listen brilliantly and so those have been the big chunks also now i'm a granny I, my daughter has a four-month-old baby so here i am another milestone I am an- <laughs> wow congratulations <laughs> i'm officially an elder
1: <laughs> hey, there's a lot to unpack here because i also read that when you were six years old you already wanted to become an actress and then you did it
0: are you always this driven do you know, I think I have to put my hand up and say I am massively driven, but it's counterbalanced by my, my parents were very, uh, very focused on uh, modesty and being polite and uh, considering others. So it makes it very hard to promote yourself. I'm very driven, which tends to make me incredibly busy and sort of do loads of stuff. But the thing I lack, and I really lacked as an actor, is the, is the desire to push myself forward. I'm not very good at that.
1: Are you understatement?
0: Yeah, yes, I, I, definitely, I definitely gloss over. I definitely, uh, oh, no. You know, if you, I'm the sort of person that if you say, oh, your hair looks lovely today, I would say, oh, my God, no, it's filthy. It's. I mean, that, to be honest, that is very British. I am terribly British, for which I apologise to anybody listening. That's uh, it's not something to be proud of at the moment. It's another. That's another podcast.
1: Exactly. Story for another day. When you were training as an actor, what is the most unexpected thing that you
0: learned there? The most unexpected thing that I learned there is that to be a really effective actor. You have to really be prepared to be naked. You know, you have to really be prepared to be so vulnerable that at the time, I, I don't think I was that prepared. I'm probably more prepared now, actually, less less worried about the perceptions of others and all that stuff. I, I would describe myself as a very, very good technical actor, but there are people out there who are just raw and i learned quite quickly that that's not me. Um, disappointing really but but then at the same time it's a very fragile place to live um emotionally so i'm maybe i'm glad that i'm not that person.
1: blessed led you to so many other uh, other things. i believe you describe yourself as a chameleon and everything i think that brings it together is anything around communication, voice and listening. Yes. and when you wear those different hats, do you have a favorite one?
0: Oof, what a great question that is. I mean, I think my favorite thing is the is the demand to bring a different version of myself in different settings. I don't know if any of your listeners, or if, indeed if you're familiar with the, the sort of Myers-Briggs type indicator, which is a sort of definition of personality preferences. And, and mine is... E-N-F-P. It may not mean much to people, but the definition of that type is chameleon. You know, for some people, it makes it quite difficult to say, well, who the heck are you then? Um, And that's definitely an advantage as an actor. And and it makes me so curious. I'm just so curious about what it feels like to be a different person in a different scenario. Mm -hmm.
1: And you just said that it's difficult for others sometimes to describe you. So, how would your family and friends describe you in three words?
0: I think they would describe me as loyal. I'm fiercely loyal. Well, I know that some of my friends describe me as frightening. And I think that's because I use silence when I don't know what to say. And people find that frightening. And the other thing I think they describe me as is fun. You know, I've got a lot of energy. I think those are probably the, the key ones. Are those also the strength that you bring to your work as a listener when
1: you do the work as a samavita? Yes.
0: L- silence is really, really valuable. And I, what I have learned about silence, and I know it makes a lot of people uncomfortable to be silent because you, you don't know what's coming. But actually, once you get comfortable with that, the thing you can absolutely guarantee in a conversation is that if you wait, you will get riches Because someone could say, uh, you know, oh, I'm having a really difficult day. And I'm afraid it's quite common for a response to be, oh, God, me too. Oh, you should see my to-do list, blah, blah, blah. But if you hear someone say, I'm having a really difficult day, and you just are silent, they will start to open up. And that's where, you know, actually, I, I find it as a conversation strategy makes it so much easier because there's more rich and interesting material to pick up upon. Um, so I think uh, silence is a, and as a parent is such a great tool because when my children were naughty and I would just be silent, I might ask them the question, what, what made you decide to treat that person like that? What made you decide to behave like that? And then I would be silent and they would be squirming. And it it does make people uncomfortable. But usually it's because I'm thinking, I don't know what to say. (laughs) And often as a Samaritan, you think, I just have, I have no idea how to respond to what I've just heard. So you sit silently and then you realize that there's more to come. So it is, it is a really important and valuable tool to practice and to get skilled at using And with the
1: Samaritans, what is the main thing that you learned about listening that you didn't know from being an actress
0: before? The main thing I've noticed as a Samaritan is that it is, you know, whenever you hear somebody articulate a challenge, a difficulty, a, a moment of sadness or distress, our desire as human beings, and I must say particularly those of us who are coaches, our desire is often to help. We really want to help solve the problem. And the most powerful thing that I have learned is I can't, I can't solve that. And it's not my job. I am just here to allow that person to unlock and explore what's going on for them. So, so not feeling like I have to come up with a solution is, I think, life-changing for me because I'm constantly obsessed with finding mm. solutions for people. And, and I found letting go of the outcome also hugely powerful. I don't have to solve it. I don't have to know what happens. That's transformational for me.
1: And I know you work one-on-one with leaders and really teach them the magic of mm. listening. What is there the magic that
0: leaders should incorporate? It's a really fascinating challenge for leaders because my concern is that often they ask the question, to frame the answer they want to hear. A leading question, for example, you know, how, how are the team coping with this project? I mean, things seem to be going quite well from my perspective. What do you think? It, it's sort of, there's nowhere to go with that other than to go, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It seems to be going quite well. So I think the courage as a listener, as a leader, to hear what you might not want to hear is... A sort of daily practice, a daily mantra, if you like. Get yourself ready to listen to the stuff that may really challenge you. That would be number one. But, but also in leadership, I think what's interesting, I mean, of course a leader can't just sit there silently all the time. <laughs> so I think the principle of helping your, li- your, your colleagues, your teams, your followers, helping them listen to you, brevity, simplicity, clarity, uh, all of those qualities are a balance to this, you know, I am going to listen, but also when I respond, I need to be really helpful. And I think for me, what really needs a shift, I love that word, but what really needs a shift is, you know, we we spend a lot of time working on hard skills, technical skills, really going into the tools that help us do our job well and then actually we might send someone on a day's course to do presentation skills or we might send someone on a day's course to you know manage difficult conversations or whatever but actually we need to give those skills as much focus attention um, measurement discipline uh, review all of that stuff as we give the hard stuff it needs to be much more balanced
1: like agree and say so the people that come to work with you what is the number one goal
0: they are trying to achieve in their work with you I think it's really changing Hannah because maybe I'm changing it or maybe where we are as a society uh, is changing because you know when I started working so I mentioned these amazing women you know that was in 2000 and then my area was very much leadership presence which it still is But leadership presence was, you know, (laughs) the more like the American president you can be, the more presence you've got. You know, it's hard if you're a woman, but, you know, be taller, be have a deeper voice, be more, uh, you know, be more suit wearing. And goodness me, that couldn't be further from where we are now. Um, which I love, by the way, I think is such an important transition. And, and you know, for example, women don't need to be more masculine. It's almost like organisations need to be masculine and feminine, balance in you know, everything, in balance. So what I'm noticing that I'm working on now is a real shift in attitude in leadership. How do you get leaders to develop a more, uh more more empathy how do they become more understanding well i would say through listening number one but also how do they say how do they be vulnerable and say i don't know or how do they say this is who i am as a person um you know how do you how do you become part of uh, a system that's changing rather than trying to drive it from the front and so that, like I say, could be a shift in me, what I see as a priority. But I think it's really driven a lot by the equity, diversity and inclusivity agenda.
1: And out of curiosity in, in your work, do you see a link between
0: listening skills and ego? What a great question that is, because you we can't step away from our ego. I mean, it's really in everything. But one of the things that makes us a great listener is to suspend our opinion, uh, to suspend our judgment. You know, we might be listening to someone and think, why would you do that? That's just stupid. I mean, for goodness sake. But of course, the minute I start thinking like that, I've actually stopped listening. Or I might listen to someone and go, oh my God, it's obvious what you should do. I mean, there's a really clear solution in here. And then we go, yeah, uh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's all about just let me get my yet yeah, we get my point out so both of those are really important in terms of the ego um, and also for a lot of leaders the imperative it feels like we're being paid to solve the problem so that can really drive a lot of information delivery um, and that that does get in the way of listening as well of course my mother used to call it now you, now me conversations where I'm just waiting for you to finish so that I can say what needs to be said. And that, Yeah, Janie, it's my turn now. <laughs> it, certainly <is. laughs>
1: it certainly is. You said that there is more of a shift towards, say, this cognitive empathy and more towards listening. I associate those skills more with women, but it might just be my perception. My question is, is there a shift towards more female leadership?
0: I saw something, uh, maybe it was an article or a thread uh, a couple of days ago about, you know, we we need to be more female, actually. We need more of that in this current sort of emergence of ESG priorities, the social piece around that. You know, we need more of that female mindset. And there's a sociolinguist called Deborah Tannen uh, who, when she wrote a, a book which of course I've forgotten what it's called, but it was, she talks about the difference between the way men and women communicate. I mean, this was written a few years ago now, but I loved what she said. She said, me, uh, women build rapport, men report. Now, of course, you know, you could say that's, goodness me, that's a generalization. But I think it is, there is enough indicative research to suggest that, you know, that, that is a more, we, we do have more access to that. And and she also talks about the fact that women bond by sharing vulnerabilities whereas men tend to bond by oh, did you see that game last night? He smashed it, you know, we get two goals against one, wasn't it brilliant? I mean, again, that's a very cheap generalization, but I but I think essentially there's a truth in there, which is that you know, we we all need to meet somewhere in the middle to recognize the value of each of those qualities you can't just have an organization that makes commercial progress <laughs> sitting around the table with a cup of tea and saying oh no so really tell me about how that I, I mean it just isn't it doesn't make sense but there is a space if we can create it for all of those qualities to be uh, celebrated
1: and i know it's like one of those key qualities is listening that's why you wrote the listening shift and what I So like in your book is like it's so actionable. It's, for example, you talk about the 10, I think it was 10 steps for listening, But right? a few things you have already mentioned. is like how not to ask the open question, but more interested question, or being curious, not certain. When you look at, like, say, the secrets that make good listening, is there a one of those that you like the most or that you find most I impactful? I think you just
0: said it, Hannah. It's to be curious, not certain. Because the minute we make a decision, I know how to answer this question, or I know what they should do, or I don't need to listen to this because they're an idiot. <laughs> the minute we make those decisions, we lose our curiosity. And I think it's one of the very big challenges that we face in interacting through social media is that it is too black and white and, and the complexity of our lives it gets lost in this, it's obviously this or it's obviously that. So I would invite everyone, please be curious. Please, please develop your curiosity, flex that muscle, because it's rewarding, but it also makes you a great listener. You're saying it's rewarding. What is the upside? Of being curious? Uh, well, yes, it's amazing what you find out, number one. Uh, it, you know, if you ask a good question, I'm, I'm always really smitten struck by, you know, when people will say, uh, oh, I check in with my team. You know, I ask them how they are. Well, I am gonna, if I said to you, how are you, Anna, you would probably say, yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. I'm good. You know, it's it doesn't make it easy to listen to because there's it's just ritual. Whereas if you say, oh, tell me what's been going on for you this week it implies more curiosity. I'm really curious to understand some of the detail. But also, you're going to be easier to listen to because I'm getting richer content. You're going to give me stuff that I can then ask more questions about. So I think it's rewarding as a listening experience, but it also makes life easier. And what I also find interesting with your book is that the first half is
1: about how to listen and the second half is how to yeah. work on your communication that the other side yes. can listen to you. So can you have other people listen to you without being a good listener yourself?
0: <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> how long have we got? <laughs> uh, I mean, this is the heart of it really, isn't it? I think, you know, a lot of people... We're encouraged to speak up. We're encouraged to have an opinion. We're encouraged to express ourselves, but we're not taught how to listen. So I think there is an imbalance. My observation is that people are desperate to be heard, just desperate to be heard. And it's a huge act of both energy and generosity to listen well. Uh, I mean, you're doing it stunningly well but it's tiring right you know you you know as a coach it's really tiring so I didn't want to separate the things out I think to be an effective communicator is to constantly focus on balance one of the people I interviewed talked about the dance of communication is a balance of give and take of ebb and flow and so I would say if you're in a conversation you know, I'm in this conversation, the balance is out really because you're letting me do all the talking, bless your heart. But in a, in a normal business conversation, for example, keep an eye on the balance, who's doing all the talking because particularly, for example, in situations of conflict, we're so keen to put our own view across that it stops us listening and so we don't get anywhere and conflict arises, it becomes bigger because the other side isn't properly heard.
1: I'm sure some of our listeners will feel now very, say, on the one hand, intrigued to learn more about listening, and then on the other hand, they might see that they have a need to become better listeners. What would you recommend as an actionable tool that they can practice to really go down that road?
0: So two, two things, really. First of all, I would say, if you're doing it on your own, if you're doing it really without support, I would, first of all bite the bullet, take a bit of courage and ask people on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate me as a listener? Now, you know, that's a broad sweep. It might be that you want to say in a meeting, how would you rate me as a listener? Or in a a situation that's difficult, how would you rate me as a listener? So you 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 begin to get a bit of a picture because there's a, a big dissonance between how good we think we are as listeners, and then, if you then if you look at someone else, you might go, "Yeah, but they're rubbish," you know. <laughs> so, so get get a picture. If you are happy to, the second thing I think is to practice. When someone asks you a question, just take some space. I mean, maybe you want to count, maybe you want to breathe, maybe you want to just have the discipline to take a little bit of space before you respond. So you you're sort of changing the pace of the conversation and and teaching yourself to sit with a bit of reflection before you interject challenge yourself to ask questions to become a bit more curious but it, but mostly i would say it's creating the space the the final thing really is to not feel like you've got to be brilliant at it all the time i mean i, I don't know about you but there are times of day or or moments in time or conversations where i think I'm nodding and saying, "Yeah, mm, yeah, no, I get it, I get it." But actually, mentally, I'm miles away. It reminds me of when I used to be cooking for my kids, for example, and they come home from school and they'd be like, "Oh, tell me about your day, then," and they'd be chatting away, and I actually wouldn't be listening to them; I'd be cooking. Maybe you've got people. I describe them as low stakes situations. Uh, that sounds really unfair but maybe it's with family or friends or colleagues that you can say i'm really working on my listening skills so i may make the odd funny comment or i may appear to be behaving a bit strangely but i'm really working on my listening skills uh you know so that you so that you practice in shifts one of the reasons that the book is called the listening shift is you know dial it up when when you think you can really do it well And then recognize that not every conversation you're going to be perfect in. Uh, and, And so the final thing I would say about that is actually be honest with people. If you can't be fully present and listen well, please just say, I can have this conversation with you, but I've got something on my mind and that may get in the way of my listening really well. Would you prefer to have this conversation another time?
1: We started our conversation talking about vulnerability. So it sounds like we are closing it with that kind of vulnerability yeah. again. And
0: I think so. I feel afraid of the vulnerability word. So, so perhaps it's openness. Perhaps, perhaps it's honesty. Uh, uh, you, you don't have to say why. You've got, you know, what's on my mind doesn't need to be shared. But I just need to be straight and say, I really want to listen well to you. Can we arrange a time when I will absolutely be able to focus, uh, you know, test it out, try it out. Um, you don't. You know, it's a life's work. Honestly, no, no one gets it right 100% of the time. So, so start practicing. Let's be humans. Ain't that the truth? That's the way forward. Say, so what's the next big thing that's coming up for you? I need to give myself a talking to and find some space for me. That's the next big thing that's coming up for me is that I need to organise my time differently. I really want to write another book, Hannah. Um, I'm toying with some ideas at the moment, so I need to create space for that. Uh, if things keep going the way they're going, it's amazing and wonderful. I've got great clients and blessed with wonderful work, but I need to create some space.
1: Can you already share any of those ideas for the next book? Well, the Loose
0: title is status, how our need for acknowledgement is getting in our way. So I think there's an interesting thing, particularly around diversity and inclusion, that, you know, we're still tribal at heart and that business of seeking to be above others. I mean, maybe that's a peculiarly British thing as well, but I'm very interested in the interplay um, between people in teams, in organisations, in social settings. I mean, it's something that we use a lot in theatre, actually, is what's the status interaction, who's got the authority or the power, and how does that affect? It sounds super interesting.
1: I'm for sure curious to read it. Great. I'll do it. So <laughs> <laughs> last question for this. Who else should I have
0: on the show? Well, I think... Times are tough at the moment. I think they're really tough everywhere. And so I have returned to positive psychology. I find it really useful in terms of strategies, mindset and application. So I'm going to suggest that you interview an amazing positive psychologist called Dr. Lucy Ryan, who. It does such incredible work, both in academia and business, on a positive psychology, positive psychological mindset. And uh, I think we all need a few of those tools at the moment.
1: I will ask you for the introduction once we are finished.
0: I shall give it to you. (laughs) Thank you.
1: And say, I know you want to have some space, but still, if somebody feels like very intrigued, would love to work with you. And how can people reach you?
0: Well, Many ways, multiple ways, and I would love to hear from anybody because it's, uh, as you know, a subject that lights me right up. So I'm on LinkedIn, my name, uh, I think will probably be in the notes, Hannah, but Janie, yes. Janie Van Hool. I also have uh, JanieVanHoole.com if you want to reach out to me there or my business website voicepresence.co.uk. I'd love to hear from you guys.
1: Perfect. that thank you so much jenny that conversation was so insightful so much fun and i love your presence and your energy thank Thank you.
0: you hannah for making it such an enjoyable conversation and demonstrating to us all the art of a great curious question thank you i loved it
1: What an insightful conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And we got more than just one actionable tool today. Sure, the first one asking other people for a rating on our listening skills it sounds a little bit scary. But if you do so, I think you can be extremely proud of yourself for being that courageous. And if you don't want to be that courageous today, You can just start with creating that space for somebody else who's asking you a question. And then you can grow your curiosity muscle by asking a few more questions. And I also like that Janie said, you don't need to be brilliant all the time. If somebody is coming to mind who should really, really work on his or her listening skills, I'd greatly appreciate if you could forward this episode to that person. And of course... If you haven't hit the subscribe button yet, please do so. It would mean the world to me. And with that, we are one step closer to reaching your goals. Catch you guys next time.